Hello, and welcome to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. I'm your host, Danielle Canton. We love to talk about communication, we love to talk about solutions, and we love to talk about providing measurable results for individuals, organizations, and the communities they serve. Welcome to the communication solution that will change your world. Hi, welcome to this episode of The Communication Solution with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. I'm Danielle Canton, your host, and we are so excited today to jump into a topic. It's like, guys, tell me, what is it? Like, what is the point of MI? Let's just start from the basics. I'm so curious to kind of dial back and kind of start from the beginning. You know, Danielle, I think what's what's helpful about this conversation is you know, I've been training on motivational wing for around 20 years now. And I was just doing a train the trainer this week. And one of the things we got into, and John and I have talked about this quite a bit in curriculum development. You know, John and I have been working together for, you know, over 10 years now, 11, 12 years now. And I, the hardest part for curriculum development is really understanding how do you teach to a naive brain when your brain's been immersed in the research and the practice of MI for over 20 years? And I think- and I'm going to jump in and just kind of laugh because I just kind of opened it with like, tell me again, what's the point of MI? Yeah. It's because it's like, we literally call it MI. And yes. there's some people out there going, okay, what's what MI? What is MI? <laughs> it's Michigan. I'm from Michigan, you know, originally. I'm like, exactly. And oh, if you're in the healthcare field, it's uh, my- well, I, the basically my I, my, yeah. there you go yeah so so Part lots of, of different people use different acronyms like motivational interviewing and i i think i think that's how we get so used to just talking about these things so second nature and especially because it is it literally is our full-time job is teaching and training people on motivational interviewing so i think the more you get so oriented to it and used to it you think it is a common language like any other industry, and then you realize it's not a common language and it's not a common way of thinking about things. So, I mean, the simple way when we say, you know, what is the point of motivational interviewing? It's if you're trying to affect behavior change. It's a method of communication. And then you can keep it simple from there or you can get extremely complex from there. And that's, I think, this kind of revisiting, what is the point? And the point is, I think, Originally, if I'm going to break it down, I always think it's effective communication, but that's, that's not what MI really is. It's not what motivation really is. It really is effective communication, but specifically the intention of it is to have an impact on behavior change in the most effective and efficient way possible. That's why I think people get confused even with the term motivational interviewing, like where did it come from? What does that even mean? And it, basically, if you look at where Dr. William Miller kind of constructed the thought from is that people have a lot going on in their lives. They struggle with a lot of decision-making, with ambivalence, with stuckness. And if you get a, them the chance to get some of their thoughts out of their head, it, it can help people get unstuck, especially if you bring in what their values are, which is what John and I have really leaned into more, um, but specifically around a target behavior. So, you know, this came out of the addiction world. So people were thinking about, you know, quitting their alcohol use, or cutting down their alcohol use or their substance use, smoking. And when you think about just behavior change, you can see how quickly that's going to spread into 
mental health and behavioral health and healthcare because of diabetes, heart disease, and all these behavior changes. And so that's kind of where the, the construct came from is how can we be more effective in working with people? And, and part of what Miller, I think when he kind of titled it motivational interviewing, I know part of his intention was to break away from doing things to people. So he wanted to get away from it being a therapy or a technique. And he was really just looking at the research, his own experiences anecdotally, and then researching it about when you interview people, when you just listen to them, like a Barbara Walters or a Diane Sawyer, like the old school interviews, people were not defensive because you had somebody leaning in, Oprah Winfrey. They just lean in and listen. And if people are going to lean in and listen, people are going to talk. And But if you're going to shake your finger at them and tell them all the things they're going to do wrong, then they're going to get defensive. So instead, let's just let's talk to people and find out what why would they want to change in their life? What would be their motive to change in their life? That's so interesting because that was one of my biggest questions coming in, not knowing anything about MI or motivational interviewing. And just taking the name alone, I was like, motivational interviewing. So you want to motivate somebody to do something you want. Exactly. Like, that's not what it is at all. It's helping yeah, them identify yeah. their motivations, right? Exactly. It. And that's part of the confusion too, because it's why, you know, one of John's lines that he started using that really helped me just get even clear about the terminology is we're really listening for people as far as what is their motive. Um, so we're not trying to motivate them. It's listening more deeply into what is their motive for change and, and not listening to what they want to change per se, but what is their motive for change? Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think it helps to know Dr. William Miller was the co-founder of this approach, this communication approach. How many years ago? Uh, eight, well, the first publication, or the first research was in 80, I think it's kind of attributed to early 80s. Um, 84 was the first original um, research project. And he, you know, he, he's attributed to being the co-founder. The reality is, is it was kind of his brainchild. And when Stephen Rolnick... <laughs> Dr. Miller said the only person that read the journal article was Stephen Rolnick. And so they started talking when they ran at each other at a conference. And that's where the, that's where it became the co-founder perspective. But the original construct of it was just with Dr. Miller and his own practice as an addiction specialist and as a lecturer and as a, you know, and on faculty, it just these ponderings and musings that he started writing down in terms of, you know, what we do in the addiction world doesn't work, but it seems like when I do these things, it does work better. And as you started kind of noting those things and drafting some stuff up, other people are going, wow, that really makes sense. And that's when Stephen Rolnick dove in and, and they just started teasing it out together. It, it makes sense too, as a social worker, you, you as a social worker, the more I meet people um, now today, the more I'm seeing, oh, social workers are familiar with this. It's actually built into their curriculum Yes, where they're all aware of motivational interviewing which I think is, is fascinating. It's like well, this whole language you all speak. Well, you know, what's interesting about it is I tend to find that in John's field, like in the healthcare field and the dietitian field, it's almost more common to use that type of language out loud as a coach or as health coaches. Um, then I even see it in social work. So social workers think of it still as a technique. Um, but I think there's other industries that came on later on board later with motivational interviewing that are more into what the intention of it is from a coaching perspective and not as much from this therapy, medical intervention technique. That's still, so we use that language in social work quite a bit, 
but it's ironic that the field that was born from the addiction world, substance use world, um, it's they're not as skilled at it across the nation as you would think since it was the field that it was born from because it's still seen as more of a technique and they'll put it on their website. You know, yes, we use motivation as one of our primary methodologies, but when you go to measure it, they're actually not particularly skilled in it per fidelity. So it's a fascinating concept, how many people want to be associated with it, but then don't, don't actually know the technique from a fidelity perspective. I'm curious, John, how did you kind of fall in love with MI in, you know, as a nutrition expert, can you, Talk a little bit about your history and introduction into it. Yeah, I'll definitely give a sense of how I got into it. Um, I would like to get out of my head all of these strings of thought that have been going on that answer the question you originally started with, and then I can end with that to take that in whatever direction. Um, but the first part of that is Dr. William Miller would talk about it's a conversation about change. Now, then Casey was getting at, well, what's the intent behind having the conversation? And it's likely going to affect some kind of change in their life. And that's where in recent years, it was moving from it having to be necessarily a behavior change to a change more generally. It could be a shift of mindset or something like that. Could, you know, it's always been involved relatively for a long time with mental health, but I say that just because a conversation about change is a really simple way to start thinking about it. Casey, you had mentioned you're sitting down and you're interviewing someone, maybe you're not sitting down, but you're interviewing someone about their motivations. And the reason I want to bring that up is talking with Dr. Miller and where this all comes from. There's also a place that you were picking up, Danielle, which is that we're there to accept the whole person and that they're a whole person with as we're treating them some sort of self-determination and that they can do whatever they want to do and you're there to interview them about their motives and not get them to change but be curious about change in their life and ideally as casey you were alluding to operate from their worldview as you do that which sometimes we think we're doing uh, and we're not including myself a lot of the time. So uh, that is just one way to start framing is a conversation about change. You're interviewing someone about your motives. You're not trying to get them to change. You're seeing if you're curious about motives and thoughts and ideas. And uh, so that's a lot of like the basics. And then there's also something about helping them, Casey, you were saying values, align their behaviors with their top priorities, with their values, their things that really matter to that person um, that would be happier and healthier for them and we tend to blame outside ourselves when our behaviors aren't doing that versus if you're having a conversation with someone and you're not defensive it's that barbara walters feel as casey was saying then you are going to be more open to talk about change and then potentially consider changing your behavior to align with your version of happier healthier and your values and so I just wanted to lay that out there that it can be simpler. It can get more and more complex. We can talk about it. We got lots of other podcasts, but I got into this through the research of the efficacy. Casey was using that word of being effective. And that's how I got into it is a simple aspect of it, Danielle. I have fallen in love with the compassion and the acceptance 
and what that means in the world of how we treat each other. That's what I've fallen in love with and that this is a way to embody a lot of people's beliefs in the world um, that aren't just talking about it, but it's being about it. And, and so that's what I've fallen in love with. But what got me interested was the healthcare perspective of this is just the best practice and it's the best thing we got. So let's dive into it then. And that's what led me to meeting Casey and all sorts of stuff from there that I think we've talked about in other podcasts. But yeah, so Casey, I don't know. There's a lot of different layers to that if you wanted to riff or if that answered your question, Danielle, but those are just a few thoughts I had while I was listening. Yeah, I just want to highlight one thing real quick, Casey, is not just talking about it, but being about it. Yes. I love that. I love that. Sorry, go ahead. You know, and and that's when we get into that. And there's so many things we can talk about. It that the way of being about it. What's so fascinating about the ongoing evolution of motivation because it is so research driven, like it's so data driven, and so it keeps evolving based on new research. Um, what so much of it has to do with as well is what we even measure, like the tool that we worked on, the motivation and competency assessment, or the other, you know, extremely well-known coaching tool for professionals is the motivation and treatment integrity scale. All these scales, part of what we look at, aside from basic technique, is almost this, like for ours, the mindset or the intention. And for others, it's like kind of your global approach. Like, how are you showing up? And how do you measure that in people and professionals and give them feedback of, are they showing up in the way that that being with people, what do we know is the most effective way to be with people and how can you get feedback on that? Um, so I think that's the thing that's the, so fascinating about it. When we break down to some of the basic concepts as well, you know, John, as you were talking about it, what I was thinking about in reading um, Dr. Miller's, one of his books, you know, on second thought, it's just when you, when you break it down to what is motivational interviewing, it's, it's just approaching something that's existed for since the dawn of man, which is ambivalence. On any given day, just think how many choices do you make on any given day? Like how many, and especially in this day and age, I mean, as a, you know, as a prehistoric man, um, you know, there wasn't tons of choices. <laughs> there We're mostly based off survival mode, you know, your choice is to eat or be eaten. Um, so they're pretty basic choices on any given day. And now in this technology world, we have so much ambivalence and, you know, people tend not to be long-term satisfied in relationships the way they used to be, because there's just so many choice. And the more choices people have, the more ambivalence they wrestle with. And that for me is amazing. Um, so those are the pieces of it that I think are, are amazing is you're just breaking down the very basics of human behavior to the fact that we all have choices to make every day and we can feel two ways about the choices or we can get stuck in the choices and we can have multiple choices we can make. And motivational interviewing is how do you help people make choices that are gonna get them to where they wanna go and not get caught in all the narratives that can keep people stuck in their lives um, or stagnant or rotting in ways that they don't want to be stuck or stagnant or rotting. How How do you get people unstuck from that which means we're not jumping in to fix it, which is what we want to do, which is our fixing reflex, or our writing reflex, which we do podcasts about. It's more a matter of how do you help people work through their, their stuckness or their choices in a way that aligns with who they are, not who everybody else wants them to be. Um, so those are, that's like when you're peeling back all the nuances and minutiae and motivational interviewing, it really is coming down to these basic concepts that John's talking about with 
you know, how do, how do we accept people for where they're at, which helps them relax and then look at their, where their ambivalence is, um, and, and where the choices come from within that. So, and what we know is with the more complex behaviors, especially if you stick to a target behavior, motivation has a very specific structure to it. If you want to quit smoking, if you want to manage your heart disease more effectively, if you want to get to the gym more often, if you want to lose that last five pounds, those are very specific target behaviors that depending on how you make choices in your life and how you resolve ambivalence can be done very efficiently and effectively, or you can dwell on it and perseverate on it for days or weeks or months or years. So motivation kind of cuts through all that in a very efficient and effective way. And I want to add additionally to it related to that, um, there is this level of, are we walking in to learn something to get this person to do something different? And I would just want to bring it back to that, that so many people can learn so many components of MI, but then their intention, when you ask them, say, coaching with the mica or something, you ask, so what was your intent when you were you know, going about this part of the session? And they say, well, I was just trying to get them to get them to see, get them to say, get them to do. And it's just normal to use language like that. It's normal to think, how do I get buy-in? Um, and how do I kind of sell them on this idea? It's just, it's missing this underlying point that people likely have ambivalence somewhere inside of them. Like you were talking about Casey, about some kind of change related to the environment you're in with them, a healthcare practitioner, social work, uh, maybe addiction or mental health, they likely care about something happier and healthier. And if you have acceptance, which does not mean you agree with them, and it can be harder to accept than look away as we went through that activity at the conference, the Mint Motivational Interviewing Network of Trainers Conference in Chicago, Casey, you and I, we accept the situation, we accept the person, and we know that this is their life, their choice, and treat them from that place. And from why are we there then? Well, we're there because we're in some sort of professional role to help and, and provide. Well, how do we do that? We could do that through unsolicited advice and fixing and treating them as broken and lacking, or we could try to do it and by it, I mean, express compassion and be helpful and contribute to this person's life. How could we do that in a way that is been shown to be helpful for the long run with something like MI and that you could measure different components and that you still get to express compassion and do it in an ethically influential way. There's nothing else I'm aware of that can bring all those things together that can even measure the difference between being problem-centered, person-centered, or this way of being centered, motivational interviewing. And it's just, there's nothing else I'm aware in the world that can really embody all of this all at once, which is why I think the other books that Dr. Bill Miller has written are amazing too, like Loving Kindness, um, that book, How to Listen Well, I think if I'm getting that one right. Um, and then the On Second Thought, Casey, that one's a mind blower. That we'll probably have a whole other podcast on. But there's just so much richness to it. But it's so basic in its tenets of how it's trying to treat other human beings. Well, and I, I think part of the profound aspect of motivational learning is that it is in some ways, I don't want to say an antidote to 
a Western medical model, but the Western medical model is so prevalent across all of these different fields because what we get credibility for is being an expert, you know? And so when I, in trainings, what I tell people often is that I want a medical professional. If I've broken my arm, I don't care if they're skilled in motivational interviewing. Where it gets complicated is if I'm dealing with heart disease, the outcomes around heart disease and people changing behavior are very poor when you take a healthcare approach, when you take a Western medical model approach. So you've got this way of being with people and communicating that's very measurable. It's very specific in how you use motivational interviewing that improves outcomes, but it's almost the antithesis of the way you're trained in a Western medical model. And behavioral health, mental health, addiction, substance use, um, all aspects of healthcare, John, that you work within, those are all driven by Western medical model. We are the experts, we've studied this, we have degrees after our name, and if you do what we tell you to do, you're going to get better. And if you don't, then we're going to add another diagnosis to you. Um, so when you're talking about that broken fix mindset, it's just a completely different, truly a different mindset than a, how do I start from their own struggle and help engage their brain? This is why I do the whole training on motivational and trauma informed. It's like with a stressed and pressured brain, how do we, how do we mindfully as a professional engage their executive functioning and that prefrontal cortex so that we're strengthening their sense of personal agency, that they're solving their own problems without us. That's when we get into another podcast around empowerment and what does that really mean? Um, so then we, this is where I think it gets into the whole MI geek thing versus the naive brain thing, because then mm. we start getting complex, even talking these concepts, because what you break it down to is if somebody is wanting to change a behavior, we can communicate with them in a way that their behavior will change in a way that aligns with their values. Well, and I want to jump in there, Casey, because there's so many concepts um, as we're, we're nearing the end here that we could go off on so many levels. But one of those deals with us walking in with a bias whether we're conscious of it or not, it's going to be multiple bias. You know, those that are listening might have heard of implicit biases. There's also conscious biases, you know, Daniel Kahneman is kind of a living legend in that world of bias. And so we all have it. So how do we walk in and try to, as best we can, get that out of the way and try to be helpful for this person? MI is one way to do that. Uh, and, you know, that also means that bias they're gonna have bias and how how biased are we against their bias and the reason i'm not trying to make it heady but i'm trying to say we're not there to change people's belief systems we have our own belief systems coming in and emi is a way of treating this person and then as you practice it more at least what some of the anthropological sort of perspective they've done on mi so far there's a, a few people that are working on that they're finding that people feel different the more you use this as a way of treating people of seeing people and the more you go into the motivational interviewing network of trainers people anecdotally talk about how mi changes you it changes them it changes us and it i don't know how much that is becoming a belief system or not I'm, I'm, i don't know but there's something to be said about allowing it through you and change you and somehow be this way that just treating people of how I see you and I'm, I'm with you in a different way. Okay. So you were saying, uh, mindset and Bill Miller would also talk about mindset, a heart set, if I'm not mistaken, he, we have a quote in our tool talking about having the music with just the lyrics or just the harmony or a clash of harmony <laughs> where there's resistance or discord or just the technique with the, the words. 
And so many people in all the years of training with MI, we fundamentally believe we have this heart set. And then some people fundamentally believe they have the mindset and bringing it all together. It's just when you bring it all together, there's particular things to seek feedback on that unless you've really immersed yourself in MI, it's unlikely you're doing all these things at once, even if you have a huge, big heart set and a really good mindset. I just wanted to wrap that in relation to what you were saying, Casey, of this is a way of treating people, but it's also a measurable thing that's not a script, that's very dynamic, but that most people don't seek feedback on with fidelity because they believe in what we're talking about. But Danielle, you were saying the difference between being about it versus talking about it. I feel like we could talk about it all day, but it's not until any one of us that try it out and seek feedback that's the vulnerable stuff, but that's also where the rubber hits the road to really see, are we doing this? And I just wanted to end with that for a place to guide people. If you do want to embody this stuff that seek feedback from your colleagues or however, and, and practice. Yeah. And I think what I want to do is bring it down from that high up in the clouds and also bring it down to the concrete is that you don't have to be that level of embodying it to be effective with it. And I think that's when I go back to the question of what is motivational interviewing? It's a way of communicating to be effective. And you don't, we, I think that's the balance we talk about. And we're, you know, another podcast I know that's coming up for us is just the difference between what's MI and what's the difference between a naive brain and a geek brain. John just shared the geek brain, um, you know, and the, the naive brain is that, well, can I learn this? Like that's a whole life study. And with motivation, it doesn't have to be a life study. You can go through really, really good, solid training and motivation and be able to influence outcomes after a really good, solid training and motivation with some practice um, that you'll notice a difference. So that's what I love about this is what is motivation? It's a way of communicating with people to affect change. It's a very mindful way of communicating with people that most human beings don't know how to do and have a practice. That's the other thing that research is really clear about is there's components of it that people are good at. But like John was saying, when you're looking at the, the wholeness of motivational interviewing, it's way more complex if you want to get really highly skilled at it than people think it is. And then on the flip side, it's learnable, it's teachable, and people can see changes in conversation even after an initial training as well, too. So and we, again, we could go on forever, but this is I think it's just a great kind of synopsis of you know at least from my perspective and john's perspective what mi is that's so awesome and i think you know from a from a naive brain for sure um coming into mi and just being introduced at a very high level at a keynote that you had given at a conference casey i walked away a changed person so you know from the naive brain perspective i can say wow this can really dramatically um, influence your life change your life for the better and open up your world to um, something really beautiful. Like when you guys are talking and, and you do come from a very professional, you know, mental health um, arena. And I come from the business world where I'm like, oh my God, every human on this planet needs to at least <laughs> some level, at yeah. some level, the point of MI, my God, is how can we treat each other better? How can we lift yes. each other up? And yes. it's like, every single person on the planet, the person who's making the new year's resolution that I want to go to the gym and my God, why can't I, what yes. is it? It's like the ambivalence we face every day. Um, 
this is the solution. This is yes. the solution for the individual struggling with quitting smoking, going to the gym, whatever it is, the 20 million, I'm gonna look up that data point. How many decisions does the average person make in a day? It's exhausting. Exhausting. And to have a guide, an expert guide, which is you guys, you're experts at this, an expert guide to teach you how do you walk through that ambivalence so that you can find peace? Because at the end of the day, I'm like the point of MI, whew, yeah, it's ch it's change, but I'll take it even a step further and say, my God, it's peace. It's the okay. peace you get when you, oh, you're like, oh my God, I've, I've made my choice. I, Found my I, can feel my, I can feel my brain is working and it's it's helping me be who I want to be instead of my brain working to make me feel more stuck and struggled and depressed and stressed. You know, using your brain in an effective way is exactly what it's about for me. So when you say that, it's just like, wow, that's that's MI. It's, it's helping people resolve around ambivalence of their behavior lines with their values. And they just feel like my brain's working again. After all this stress and pressure of COVID, my brain is actually starting to work on my behalf instead of against me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I know we're wrapping up. I just want to thank you guys because you are experts in this field. You're out thank there you. training, training thank organizations, you. training individuals every day on this yes. beautiful, beautiful form of communication. So I'm grateful to be in your world. Um, so excited for future podcasts. Let's keep going. This awesome. Is awesome. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the Communication Solution Podcast with Casey Jackson and John Gilbert. As always, this podcast is about empowering you on your journey to change the world. So if you have questions, suggestions, or ideas, send them our way at Casey at IFIOC.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y at IFIOC.com. For more information or to schedule a training, visit IFIOC.com. Until our next communication solution podcast, keep changing the world.